here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, and by the way, often copied, but I'm the original. 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Man, oh, Manischewitz, we got a lot to cover. First, I want to hit something before we get back to this Russia story that we addressed because it was released with, I think, what, seven or eight minutes left in my program Friday. And I really said in that seven or eight minutes everything that needed to be said, but I've had more thoughts about this. Over the course of the weekend, as a former chief of staff to an attorney general in the Reagan administration, Ed Meese, the FBI, of course, is a, uh, is a, is a department under the Department of Justice. And I got to thinking a lot about it, so I want to I return to that. But I want to address this issue where these so-called constitutionalists and originalists keep pouncing on the president should he trigger the National Emergencies Act. And they lecture you and me. That if you support the president in this regard, you have no principles. You're inconsistent. You're as bad as the left. Now, why is that? Because all you care is about the uniform they're wearing. Now, those of you who support the president should he make this decision, that's not you. You're not unprincipled. You don't just go with the flow. And neither do I. So let me explain a few things here. Some of these guys and gals are confusing unconstitutional, illegal, and improper with the opposite. With the opposite. And so they lecture us about autocracy. And they say, for us, it's relative. We don't mind autocracy or the iron fist of government if our guys are exercising it. We only mind it if their guys are exercising it. Let me suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that commentators who say this on TV and radio write about it on various websites don't understand you and never have. You're patriotic Americans. You embrace the Constitution. And no, it's not about relativism. This law, in its current iteration, has been in existence for 43 years, almost half a century. Not one of these commentators, I've checked, ever criticized this law. Not one of these commentators ever criticized this law when it was used, and it's been used many times, by men who've held the office of the presidency before Donald Trump. All of a sudden, they're concerned about a law they never talked about before. They're concerned about a law that was used by past presidents, Republicans and Democrats, Perfectly fine. So irrelevant, it never crossed their radar screens. Now everything's at stake. If Donald Trump triggers this law, as it was triggered by Reagan, as it was triggered by Obama, as it was triggered by the Bushes, as it was triggered by, you name it, then obviously any of you who agree with him are unprincipled. You're hypocrites. And you support a slow but steady autocracy. Now that's just plain damn stupid. And it's wrong to accuse you of that. Now a little bit of context is always good. 
if President Trump triggers this statute, there is a check and balance. Congress built a check and balance into the statute. Congress can reverse what the president has done by a simple majority vote of both houses, a joint resolution. So there's your check. It's not like Obama legislating with DACA and these so-called conservatives on TV and radio and who write do do you a great disservice when they don't point out these important distinctions. There was no statutory basis whatsoever for DACA. None. And Obama admitted that early on. If the president triggers the National Emergencies Act, while people can debate about statutory interpretation, there is a statute. And his lawyers are smart. And most of them are smarter than the people who talk about it. And it'll be challenged in court. Even though the court should stay out of it, they're incapable of it. And it can be challenged in Congress. You even had Republicans say, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do-. Well, they can vote with the Democrats and do as they wish. So that's not autocratic. But let's say the president did this. Let's say, you know what? The president is tired of the partial government shutdown. He wants the Coast Guard funded. He wants the TSA funded, all of which report to him. Meanwhile, he wants to secure the border, and he hopes this will work, even though he knows it'll be challenged. He can't predict the outcome. He's got very few tools to work with. So ultimately, if he decides to do this, president hasn't done it under these circumstances, but so what? There's a lot of emergencies that occur where there's not a pattern. But this is my point to you. This is why I get concerned when you don't receive the information you should. It's almost like the liberal media. If the president triggers this, and all this talk about centralization, and I've written about it more than anybody. It would pale in comparison to the executive powers exercised by John Adams, Andrew Jackson, James Polk, Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, Theodore Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower, Lyndon Johnson, Barack Obama, just to name a few. Not even close. Not even close. And nothing compares to the power grab of the court as an institution. Nothing. Our Constitution would never, ever have been adopted in Philadelphia. First of all, it never would have been written to empower the courts like this. But it never would have been adopted by the delegates in Philadelphia. It certainly never would have been adopted by the, by the delegates at the various constitutional conventions in the various states, never ever. And yet there it is. Upholding almost all of the Obama agenda and wherever possible striking down the Trump agenda as it continues to do. Now, some might say, oh, what aboutism? No, this is called history. History matters. Unless you're a leftist and you believe history begins today, Ethics begin today, morality begins today, modernity, no. It doesn't begin today, and it didn't begin today. So one might argue, this doesn't excuse Trump triggering the act. Who said it did? It's not an excuse. It's an explanation. 
Of course, as I say, the irony is that some court is likely to strike it down. Not the law per se, but Trump's use of it. And that's my problem with these so-called conservative commentators. Many of them are never Trumpers or have been never Trumpers. That's why in the past they've never addressed this statute, but today they're concerned about centralized government. Really? Well, when you cherry-pick like this, when you leave out history and context, when you don't explain there is in fact a check and balance on this president or any president who exercised the National Emergencies Act, you're not doing anybody a favor. It's just more anti-Trump, anti-Trump. And it is not we who are wearing the uniform that is of that team. It is they who wear the uniform, and yet they pretend to be objective. We're just doing a legal analysis. Just writing about the history of the national emergencies. No, you're not just doing anything. Now, I want to talk again about this New York Times article. But I want to have plenty of time to do it. So what I'm going to do is take an early break now. And I hope you'll stay with me. And I want to address this issue that's been going on all weekend by our really Russian media. They act like the Russian media. They act like Pravda. This isn't a real media we have in this country. Is the President of the United States a secret Russian spy? And then you look at Mediate or you listen to some of these shows. He didn't flat out deny it, did he? Ladies and gentlemen, I think the press is worse today than any time in our history. And it's getting worse still. Stick with me. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you ever thought about the word education? It means to lead forth. Now, let me tell you about a place that leads forth. Hillsdale College. At Hillsdale, students are challenged to discover the right way forth by reading the greatest books by the greatest minds in history. And they learn the meaning of the three ultimate and related things, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Now, unfortunately, many of our nation's other colleges have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. But as we begin a new year, we can be thankful that none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. Please visit Hillsdale. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. By the way, you know today in Washington, D.C. and around Washington, D.C., there was about 8 to 10 inches of snow altogether. And the government was shut down. All of the government. 
And the reporters are still saying, we're on our 20-something day of a government shut. The government was shut down today because of snow. And more on the Democrats in Puerto Rico later. On Friday, I told you when I saw this New York Times story entitled FBI Open Inquiry into whether Trump was secretly working on behalf of Russia. I told you in the few minutes of time that we had left on Friday that this is a monumental scandal, but not as the New York Times intended. It's a monumental scandal about the conduct of the FBI and the United States Department of Justice under Barack Obama and subsequent to a Barack Obama. That this is a department at the highest levels that went rogue. It went rogue during the campaign, during the presidential uh, elect period, and during the Trump presidency. And all over the usual news programs, the usual phony journalists, phony hosts, phony anchors, and their phony guests, was Donald Trump a Manchurian candidate? Was Donald Trump a spy? They are tearing this country apart with this propaganda. And they are doing the work of the Russians, of the Chinese, of the North Koreans, of the Iranians, of all of our enemies. With this constant stream, endless stream of propaganda by these demagogues. Gone are the media watchdogs. Instead, on the left, we have media lapdogs. Where are the civil libertarians? The civil libertarians are now autocrats, and they've thrown in. They've thrown in with the coup crowd. J. Edgar Hoover, to the best of my knowledge, never formally unleashed a criminal investigation against a president of the United States. A formal criminal investigation against the president of the United States. Well, you might say he spied on them. The Obama FBI spied on the Trump campaign. At least two spies were in the Trump campaign. This FBI, these rogue senior officials, these rogue Department of Justice officials, put spies in the Trump campaign. They misled and therefore lied to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court four times to get a warrant. A warrant to spy on Carter Page. And by the way, anyone related to Carter Page, which of course means Trump and all the rest. Then they leaked to the press incessantly official information and then lied about it. Or directed that it be leaked through a friend in Comey's case, trying to ensure that his fingerprints wouldn't be on it Problem was, when it was put to him and he was under threat of perjury, he said, oh, well, of course, you know, I, I gave it to my friend. He, he put it out. What's the big deal? This was a cabal. An absolute cabal. That was trying to intervene in the election. Trying to affect the outcome of the election. Every bit as or even more than the Russians within our own government, which makes it a thousand times more dangerous. A cabal of Comey and McCabe and Baker and Stroke and Page and all the others. They tried to use the Logan Act, the Deputy Attorney General serving as the Acting Attorney General for a few months. Yates, Sally Yates, tried to use that little gap of time 
while the Schumers of the world in the Senate were holding up Jeff Sessions to take out individuals in the White House. The Logan Act as a pretext to open a criminal investigation against retired Lieutenant General Mike Flynn. The unmasking and leaking of his name. A felony. Look at this abuse of power. They talk about Trump. How dare they? How dare these phony conservatives talk about Trump? Nobody, nothing has ever been handled this way. Ever. Ever. They used the dossier paid by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC, washed, laundered through straw men to get a federal warrant. They continued the campaign against Donald Trump with the bogus appointment of a special counsel at the urging of the corrupt Jim Comey who had been fired, at the urging of the corrupt Chuck Schumer, the intellectually and politically corrupt Chuck Schumer, and Rod Rosenstein, a gutless wonder, a spineless whatever. Just the man, the bureaucrat, the coward to do it. And now we're told that this special counsel of flesh and blood is beyond criticism. In fact, he's the noblest of human beings to ever walk the face of the earth. And you better not question him because the media sure as hell won't. Media won't tell you anything about the man, his past, his failings. And he's got many. And we've talked about them before. So the prosecutor and his staff can lay out nothing more than a long op-ed, a long diatribe in the form of a report. And the Democrats and the media tell us and some Republicans that will determine the president's fate. An investigation that stunk from the first second, that will determine the president's fate. Talk about check and balance. There's no check and balance with the lapdog media. So we had this New York Times piece that broke during my show that essentially says that the senior FBI officials and the president took a constitutional act and fired the FBI director, that they were concerned that this was an effort to obstruct justice, which of course it wasn't. It's constitutional. And they used that as a phony basis to launch a criminal investigation against the President of the United States. More when I return. Our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what is beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, 
the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. Hillsdale.edu. Making conservatism great again. Dial in now. 877-381-3811. FBI. You know what this is really about? The FBI did all it could at the highest levels to prevent Trump from being president of the United States. That's what happened. They tried to prevent this president from being president of the United States. They interfered with this election more than the Russians and their trolls on the Internet and so forth. These weren't trolls. This was the senior level of the FBI. And what troubles me now is that with the Democrats controlling the House and with the media that has gone into a very dark and bleak place, this greatest of scandals not only won't be resolved permanently, but the fixes that are necessary at the FBI and with the FISA court will not take place. I believe the FISA court should be abolished and a completely new mechanism should be developed, and I told you this six months ago. My buddy Joel Pollack says it's time to start out, uh, over uh, again with the FBI, and maybe it is. It is a shame we have thousands and thousands of honorable Men and women in the FBI put their lives on the line. But then, but then we have the senior officials. And the fact that the FBI can interfere with an election, regardless of what the Democrats say, the evidence is apparent, and that the media have no focus on this, and that a special counsel who's supposedly investigating a Trump's associations with the, with the uh, Russians, but he gets into the Michael Cohen stuff and National Enquirer stuff and hookers and all the rest. And, and uh, not, what, what am I talking about? Uh, Madams, rather, and, uh, and porn stars and all that. That grabs his attention. But none of the rest of this stuff does. Something is wrong. And it's not going to be fixed. Because of who controls the House and who controls the media. And frankly, the Republicans on the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, led by Richard Burr. Where is this fool Richard Burr anyway? Who is he? Is he even even around anymore? Maybe he's in Puerto Rico, too. I don't know. But this is a damning piece in the New York Times against the FBI, senior levels of the FBI, not against Trump. Now, let me point out something else to you. We again touched on this Friday, but I want to spend a little bit more time. I've heard some of these fools on TV say things like, well, Mueller's not done. He's not done with his investigation. He hasn't issued his report yet. So we don't know the extent to which Trump was involved with the Russians. Now, these are clowns dressed up as news people or judicial analysts. Ladies and gentlemen, if Robert Mueller believes that the President of the United States is or was an active spy or agent for the Russian government... He wouldn't wait for his report to tell us this. 
he would hold a press conference with Mr. Rosenstein, and he would tell us this. At a minimum, he would leak it to the New York Times or CNN. But he's not bound to wait for a report if he finds that the president of the United States was a secret Russian agent. And yet, in the phony media, all over the weekend, the president didn't deny he was an agent, you know. He was interviewed by, by Judge Janine on Fox. He didn't deny it. You have to deny when you're president that you weren't a Russian agent? This is the insanity of this? Russian agent? As I say, I hope you folks watch the uh, Fox show on Sunday where Professor uh, Ken Gore, where he and I were talking about Ted Kennedy. Now, he was, in many ways, a Russian agent. He went to them. The highest levels of the KGB through his buddy Tunney, which went to the highest levels of the Soviet Union. It's in a memo that was made public in 1992. What about you know? And uh, talk about a traitor. Traitorous activity. Nobody cares about it. Mr. Mueller doesn't have anything like that on Donald Trump, or we'd know about it. Nothing. Because Donald Trump is not a Russian spy or a secret agent. The New York Times knows it. CNN knows it. MSNBC knows it. And the FBI knew it. The FBI knew it. But they were hell-bent on criminalizing this presidency. They were hell-bent on crippling this presidency. And the watchdogs that became lapdogs in the media have thrown in with the authoritarians in this government. They're their sources, after all. Comey was their source. McCabe was their source. Stroke was their source. Page was their source. Baker and others. There's more leaking going on at the FBI than in a nursing home. And the media, of course, have no problem with it. And the Democrats are all for it. They're leaking off the hill. In confidential, off-the-record interviews they had, they're already leaking. And they participated in this leak to the New York Times. Now, it can never be said, not that we say it, but it can never be said that the New York Times is an objective news source. Frankly, it never has been. Which is exactly why the left loves it. It is a wholly owned subsidiary, if you will, of the Democrat Party and the progressive ideology. They would never run stories like this on Barack Obama. The headline wouldn't be about Trump and the FBI. The headline would be about the FBI. That the shadow of J. Edgar Hoover clouds the FBI. And unfortunately, it does. What these people did to the FBI, the Department of Justice, and our intelligence agencies is criminal. Now, let me ask you a question, which I want to do in this program. How many of you believe Barack Obama didn't know any of this? 
How many of you believe Joe Biden didn't know any of this? How many of you believe Susan Rice didn't know any of this? How many of you believe Valerie Jarrett didn't know any of this? I can tell you from my own experience, the others can't, I can. Then when you have a matter of this magnitude, and I'm not talking about when Trump was president, because obviously that administration had left, but the activity that took place beforehand, the uh, application for the FISA, the spies in the Trump campaign and so forth, I can tell you from my own experience that matters that are that politically sensitive at such a high level, a president would be briefed, at least given a summary of what was taking place. And he'd be briefed by the Attorney General of the United States, Loretta Lynch, and or the FBI Director, and or the National Security Advisor, and or others. Barack Obama was President of the United States. A hands-on president, we're told. Barack Obama knew about Russian interference. He did nothing effective to stop it. And he kept the American people in the dark until about a week before the end of the election. These people who are commentators on TV, who are trashing this president, they were in charge of the intelligence agencies. They were in charge of the Department of Justice and the FBI. And the very same media that worked with them is still working with them. And the very same collusion that took place between Obama administration officials is still taking place between the media and Obama administration officials, as well as Democrats on Capitol Hill. Their target is the same, whether it's the election, post-election, or the presidency. Their target is the same, Donald Trump. This is something the never Trumpers will never understand because they're blockheads. This is something the formerly never Trumpers will never understand. Same reason. And so they play it both ways. They walk a tightrope. When your republic's at stake, when there's a soft coup taking place, or as I've been calling it, a silent coup, you can't play both sides. You've got to take a stand. You got to take a stand. And don't wrap yourself in the Constitution when you're joining the media and the Democrats in burning it. In burning it. It's just like March two years ago. Remember that, Mr. Producer, when I pulled together all those articles? On this program first. Then on the Sunday Fox and Friends show. Then on the Monday night. Hannity show. When I looked at these news articles, I didn't create the news, and I pulled them together. And it became beyond obvious that the Trump administration had been surveilling, excuse me, that the Obama administration had been surveilling the Trump campaign, that there'd been some FISA activity. It's taking your eyes, just piecing them all together. And the more we learn, like from the New York Times Friday night, Not only was I correct, it's worse than I could have imagined back then having what little information I did. When the media attacked me for a week as a right-wing conspiracy theorist, as provocative, as controversial, 
And I kept explaining, I'm only taking reports that you people have published or provided. It didn't matter. And when the same, the same lapdogs, the Brian Stelters, the Jake Tappers, that clown at the Associated Press and so forth, some of the hacks at the Washington Compost, when the same people, the same people who participated in this awful scandal for the media attacked me, I knew I was on to something. I knew I was on to something, and I was. It's just much worse than I could have imagined. So the president was placed under criminal investigation because the FBI said he could be a spy or an agent for Russia. And we're supposed to take that seriously. That was a subterfuge by a rogue gaggle, a rogue cabal of senior FBI officials who wanted Hillary to win, but even if they didn't, they wanted Trump to lose. Just like the media today carries the water for the reprobates, the miscreants, and the malcontents. Not only carries the water for them, but calls them journalists, anchors, hosts, and guest commentators. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. One hundred and seventy-five years. That's how long Hillsdale College has been around. As we start a new year, Hillsdale's entering its hundred and seventy-fifth year, but in all of that time, it still holds the same principles since eighteen forty-four. The college was founded to teach students to seek truth, to recognize what is beautiful, and to hold up what is good. Most colleges have lost their way and are now in the grip of political correctness. They reject the idea of objective truth and peddle moral and cultural relativism. Not Hillsdale College. Hillsdale continues to provide sound learning essential to preserving civil and religious liberty. Hillsdale is my favorite college because it has stayed true to that mission and extends it nationwide on behalf of liberty. From its free online courses to its free speech digest and primus, from training leaders at their Kirby Center in Washington, D.C., to helping establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, Hillsdale is educating Americans to restore our freedom. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. I've been saying this is a silent coup early on. Been attacked for that in the media too. Others have now picked up on it. I see Peter King says this is almost like a coup. Folks. I know a coup when I see one. If this isn't a coup or an attempt at a coup, then what the hell is? In our country anyway. And that's why I find it so amazing that there are people who claim to be constitutionalists and originalists who still sit on the sidelines sucking their thumb trying to figure out what side to take. Now, I'm not questioning that that we debate policy and that sort of thing. But when you see a coup taking place, you must address it. You must confront it. Whomever the president is. That is different than debating over tariffs, which I debate all the time, and something of that sort. This is different. But they can't seem to get it through their heads. And yet they claim to defend the Constitution. Remember the IRS? 
abuse by the IRS under Obama, abuse by the FBI under Obama, targeting certain media individuals by Obama, James Risen at the New York Times, James Rosen at Fox, the Associated Press, among others, trying to put certain reporters in prison. That's that Obama, baby, a progressive. So we have to wink and watch. But you see, it's Trump who's a danger. Well, the IRS is, uh, is paying off three claimants in the $3.5 million national class action suit. And most of the media ignored this, too. Obama's never held to account. Biden's never held to account. None of them are ever held to account. The abuse of the FBI, the abuse of the IRS, the abuse of our intelligence agencies, and the abuse of our immigration system. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. One of the things we do not do here is throw 15 subject matters at you, address them superficially, and move as fast as we can from one to the other. I'm not a dog chasing a bone. I treat you with respect. You're intelligent. You're the smartest audience of audiences. And we go through these issues. We can't possibly get to everything that's on websites and in newspapers. And it's not necessary that we do. I'm not here to fill time. I want to make sure that when you've listened to three hours of this program, you think it was worthwhile. When you watch Levin TV, you think it was worthwhile. When you watch my one-hour show Sunday night on Fox that you think it was worthwhile. When you read one of my books, same thing. That's it. Any monkey can speed through a website. Now, that's not to put down websites. I'm all for these websites. Don't get me wrong. And there's some great ones out there. That's not my point. That's not the job of a radio host. We have three hours, many of us, or two hours, others. So, carry on. Discuss it. Go through it. I'll give you an example. Just laid out the case on Russia. Did it in really short order Friday night when it first came out, but we went into some other nuances here. Uh Uh-oh, I hear the black helicopters. Duck! No, there really is a helicopter outside the bunker. Uh, they do uh, Air Force One training up and down the Potomac River from time to time. Uh, every now and then there's a big Huey helicopter, and the house literally shakes. Excuse me. The bunker literally shakes. Here's John Meacham. He's presented as this great historian. He speaks at all the Bush events. Uh, he's written many books. But he hates Trump which is why he goes on MSLSD. So here he is on Friday night. He doesn't know anything more than the rest of us. So he tries to give this the patina of a serious event by referencing history. Cut to go. Uh, with a, you look at all these different fronts, and 
you, you have the sort of the emergency conversation, which is deeply important and, and complicated. But we've really never had, and if we have, it's it's classified and, and, and lost history, at least so far, a president of the United States who is considered to be possibly an asset of a foreign government. Uh, he's not considered to be an asset of a foreign government, except by those who libel him. There's no evidence whatsoever that there's anything demonstrating that Trump is an asset of a foreign government. So now we've gone from collusion to he's an asset of a foreign government. Now before we go on with the genius that John Meekham believes he is, would an asset of the foreign government muscle up our defense or do what Obama did, weaken our defense? With an asset of a foreign government want to strengthen our national sovereignty and our borders? Or would an asset of a foreign enemy try to do that? Would an asset of a foreign government, in this case Russia, put in tougher sanctions by far than its predecessor to punish Putin's operatives as oligarchs in response to what they've done in the Ukraine? Would a Russian asset arm the Ukrainians with weapons that Obama withheld from the Ukrainians? Would a Russian asset provide... Strategic defense to certain Eastern European countries that Obama denied. Now, who sounds like the Russian asset, Obama or Trump? Would a Russian asset, would his actions cause Vladimir Putin to say that we may have war soon, given the actions of the United States? You have to be drunk on liberalism, drunk on Marxism. To believe the crap that's being fed to the public. And the problem is, let's just face it, too many Democrats are very stupid. They just are. Many Republicans are too, don't get me wrong, but it would seem that more Democrats are. And the elected Democrats and the unelected Democrats, like those in the media, they believe that their constituents are stupid. Which is why they keep feeding them crap from John Meekham, among others. Go ahead. This is what the founders were worried about in the uh, 1790s. Uh, the, the Jeffersonians worried that Washington and Hamilton might be British agents. Washington and Adams and Hamilton worried that Jefferson might be a French agent. But that was in a kind of fevered political atmosphere. There was no FBI to investigate it. What is he rambling on about? There's no parallel between that and this. None whatsoever. And by the way, they were all wrong. Jefferson wasn't a French agent, and Washington and Hamilton weren't British agents. So what is his point? There wasn't an, an FBI to investigate. Lucky them back then, or we'd have a special counsel who would be gathering all kinds of nonsense on these various founders to give the Congress to what? Impeach them? Remove them? Do what? Uh, there was no FBI to investigate. Wow, what a historian. The FBI concocted this scenario so it could investigate it. So the investigation itself would be the story. That's the point of the New York Times piece. That's the point of all the propaganda from the demagogues and the media all weekend long and even up to today. The fact of an investigation, that's what they keep mentioning. 
This is manufactured. The whole damn thing is manufactured. The news is that they manufactured it over there at the FBI, and the media love it, and John Meacham loves it, as he strains to find some kind of parallel. Then, of course, ABC's This Week, a Democrat talking to a Democrat, Stephanopoulos and Vice Durbin. That's how corrupt the media are. Stephanopoulos, a hitman for Clinton, is now a journalist running his Sunday show. ABC This Week. And ABC This Week, W-E-A-K, they ain't kidding. So they hire the little fella, knowing exactly what he thinks. And he brings in Durbin. So two Democrats talking to each other, and that is news. Hey, Democrat number one to Democrat number two, what do you think about this New York Times piece? Democrat group number three. It's sort of a liberal circle uh, fest, you might say. Cut three, go. And what about the idea that President Trump might be compromised by the Russians? You know, there's so many questions raised. Why is he so chummy with Vladimir Putin? He's not chummy with Vladimir Putin. He's not chummy with Vladimir Putin. He's done more to deal with Putin and his government than Obama ever did. Let me ask you something, little dick, Durbin. Why was uh, Obama so chummy with Bill Ayers? Now, you should know all these people from Chicago and so forth, the Alinsky crowd. Why was he so chummy with with Dorn, Bernadine Dorn? Why was he so chummy with Khalidi? With his connections and his wife's connections to Hamas. Notice they never say that. Maybe, maybe Obama was a terrorist. No! No! Can't say that, and I'm not saying that. But this is how they think. This is how they argue. Except when it comes to the left. We've now reached a point where the New York Times, the rest of the media taking its lead from the New York Times, and leading Democrats, if not all elected Democrats, are accusing the President of the United States of being an agent of Russia, and if not an agent of Russia, than a, uh, a puppet of Russia. Despite no evidence, and in terms of his behavior as president, all evidence to the contrary. Go ahead. Who is uh, a former KGB agent, never been a friend of the United States, invaded our allies, threatens us around the world, and tries his damnedest to undermine our elections. Why is this President Trump's No, 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 no. The, the FBI did its damnedest also to undermine our elections. You don't even care about that. No more civil libertarians. No more watchdogs in the media, just lapdogs. And you drank this clown... The things he said about Kavanaugh during the Kavanaugh hearings, just remember, it's the same people, the same media that tried to destroy Kavanaugh. Whatever you think of Kavanaugh from a, a judicial perspective is irrelevant. What they tried to do to that man's character was a disgrace. They made up stuff. They put forward fake witnesses, including Ford. That's right, I said it. Go ahead. I don't get it. And when he takes... You don't interp- get it, you schmo. You get it. You're a propagandist for your party. Party first. Then this guy, Chris Coons. Why is he on the air all the time on TV all the time? Isn't this the bald guy, Mr. Producer? Now, I'm a bald guy. The difference is I have substance. He's a bald guy. 
who's a zombie. He represents the, uh, the great county of Delaware. I mean, state of Delaware. And he's out there all the time. Why? Because he says what they want him to say. Cut four, go. Well, that uh, was a concerning, even alarming uh, report, and it suggests to me um, that the Mueller investigation uh, needs to continue to its logical So the Mueller investigation is, is born from the FBI's rogue activity. And this guy, Chris Coons, says this is why the Mueller investigation needs to continue to its logical conclusion. And what would that logical conclusion be, ladies and gentlemen? That Trump was a spy, an agent, that he has financial connections to the Russian government, and therefore he's compromised? What exactly? This is another fool when it comes to Kavanaugh, who disgraced himself. Why do we take this man seriously? He's a clown. Go ahead. I'm grateful for the partnership of Senator Graham, now the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uh, in reintroducing our bipartisan bill with Senators Tillis and Booker to protect the Mueller investigation. Uh, You know, this is so stupid. They're going to protect the Mueller investigation. Nobody's fired Mueller, and they would love it if Trump fired Mueller. They would love it, but they know he won't, so they keep banging the pots and pans about this. All this investigation is being threatened. How is it being threatened? Mueller is all over the damn place. Goes all over the country. Goes all over the world. I remember he was in Arab countries. Here, there, and everywhere. He hires all these liberal Democrats who are donors to Democrats. Who's stopping the guy? Nobody's stopping the guy. So they put up these phony issues. They manufacture these issues. Go ahead. Um, That report by the New York Times. Ah, shut up, you idiot. Now, let's go on to Mark Warner. Mark Warner, this guy's everywhere. He was on TV, obviously Skype. He was in his mansion. Uh, he was he, he was dressed quite oddly, quite frankly. Like maybe he'd just come off the golf course, or maybe he had a few too many, or whatever. But Jake Tapper's there, man, and Jake Tapper. Everybody knows he's an intrepid reporter. As he sits on his butt in the studio and never leaves. Jake is a man, he knows everything. His finger's on the pulse of the nation. I know that because he just was a top ten of some another award he got. Cut five, go. Do you think the President of the United States ever worked on behalf of the Russians against American interests? Now let's stop. Notice the tone. He puts a question mark at the end of this. Notice how manufactured this whole thing is. So the criminal investigation against Trump, that he's a Russian agent. Now, just think of how preposterous those words are. He's a secret Russian agent. President of the United States. How could it be that the President of the United States is a secret Russian agent, and it's so secret nobody has the goods on him? Not Congress, not the media, not Mueller. And wouldn't the Russians have leaked it by now? Putin's been furious with Trump over his sanctions against his oligarch, mass-murdering, wealthy buddies. He's been furious with Trump for arming the Ukrainians. Furious with Trump for arming the East Europeans. Furious with Trump for telling the Germans, stop building the pipeline to Russia. You're going to be dependent on them for your, for your natural gas. 
Can you name one thing Trump has done from a policy perspective that wasn't stronger than everything that Obama did? Or the congressional Democrats, for that matter. You really believe that he could be a, a, a work on behalf of the Russians against American interests? Just listen to the crap that the American people are being fed. Go ahead. Well, Jake, that's the defining question. Ah, you're such a disgusting clown. Jake, that's the defining question of our investigation. Was Trump a spy and agent for Russia? Remember the, the journalists, the 1950s, talking about the Red Scare? Remember that? I mean, the history books. Yet there was Alger Hiss, and there were several communists in the FDR administration, at the State Department, and so forth. There were several. We haven't found Russian agents in the Trump administration, let alone the President of the United States. But look at the hysteria. Do the media ever collectively look in the mirror? What they're doing to this country? What they're doing to our politics? What a distraction they've become? No! Why? Because they're in a dark and bleak place. And they side with one party and only one party. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The Eagles kind of blew it yesterday, don't you think, Mr. Producer? 14 points in the first quarter and not another one after. And I don't blame this guy, Jeffries, who was taking it very, very hard. All they needed was uh, one more touchdown. Couldn't do it. Can't do it. You're not going to move. A lot of great teams, big scoring teams are in the uh, final four. Very exciting as far as I'm concerned. You want to know why their ratings are up? Because they're not taking so many knees and television's not showing them taking knees. That's why the ratings are up. Americans are patriotic. Whether the media are and the Democrat leadership is, is obvious that they're not. But most Americans are. By the way, you can listen to this show in truncated form where the commercials are basically stripped out except for our wonderful sponsors on my podcast we charge you nothing nothing so if there's something you didn't hear or the time is not right or you want to double hear something you want to check us out you can download the podcast absolutely free we don't charge you for something we're already doing for free go to marklevinshow.com marklevinshow.com you can download the app there right mr producer you can, you, you can go to Apple iTunes and look up Mark Levin Show. You can go to Google Music, Mark Levin Show. These are just three of the top areas you can go. The Mark Levin app is the best app, and you can download that from marklevinshow.com. But marklevinshow.com, Apple iTunes, Google Music, again, for all of them, just check out Mark Levin, Mark Levin Show. It'll pop up, and I want to strongly encourage you to have that, just in case. I'll be right back.
If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add, but this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve, and subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. All right, ladies and gentlemen, think about it. So thorough and so unwavering is the effort to destroy this president. They're looking at every route to accomplish this coup. First, they looked if they could indict him. Now they're hoping to impeach him. Now they hope in the past to use the 25th Amendment, which they don't even understand. Now they hope that driving from office, it'll become so unbearable he'll want to resign. If none of that works, this endless daily attack on his reputation they hope will result in his defeat in his re-election. That's exactly what's taking place. Well, here, you know, in this radio show and on Levin TV, we address this. We fight it. We engage. We are here, and our new Blaze TV network, just getting started with the new year. Do you know Blaze and CRTV combined? My show's been totally unaffected, as a matter of fact. But here's the thing. We're bringing the biggest names in the conservative commentary all under one roof for the first time ever. We've added hosts, and we're going to add more shows. And giving you unlimited access to all of it. With a single subscription to blazetv.com. And we're better with more voices, more ideas, more entertainment, but still solid conservatives challenging the mainstream media. We're creating a massive network of like-minded conservatives, different personalities, different approaches, but still conservatives. And I hope you'll take this opportunity to check out blazetv.com and see what you're missing. And those of you who have subscriptions coming up, I hope you'll renew. Nothing else like this out there, and we're only getting bigger. This is the next step in the new revolution in media, and I hope you'll join us. And those of you who are with us, I hope you'll stay with us. Here's the best way. Go to levintv.com, L-E-V-I-N-T-V.com right now and sign up or call us at 844-LEVIN-TV. That's 844-L-E-V-I-N-T-V. You're sick of what the New York Times is doing? Well, help us unravel it and address it on Levin TV. You're sick of what the Washington Post is doing? Well, these Russian transcripts, they're, they're on a tight hold. Come to Levin TV. Come to Blaze TV Network. And I think you'll really, really appreciate what we're doing. It's very expensive what we're doing. We're trying to keep our costs as low as possible. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you'll stick with me right now because we're going to do what we call a deep dive. 
That means not bounce around like a ping pong ball from story to story, but we're going to do a deep dive on something that's not really in the news right now. And so let us pretend that I am the New York Times. It's painful. It's painful. But let us pretend. So here's my headline. Is Dianne Feinstein a spy for Red China? I repeat, just a question. Is Dianne Feinstein a spy for Red China? And there was a great piece several months ago by Ben Weingarten at a great website called The Federalist. And the headline is, and we've talked about Feinstein and her husband Richard Bloom over the years and their relationships with uh, the Chinese government and how they've made a hell of a lot of money and how I believe that's affected her policies in some ways. But the question is, shouldn't there be a special counsel investigating her? Shouldn't the news media be focused on her? As Weingarten writes in a very long piece, and I can't read all of it, I sometimes say that in my last life, maybe I was Chinese. That's a quote from Diane Frankenfeinstein. As media intelligence agencies and political scrutiny of foreign meddling is seemingly at its apex. A story with big national security implications involving a high-ranking senator with access to America's most sensitive intelligence information has been hiding in plain sight, just like Ted Kennedy was. The story involves China and the senior U.S. senator from California and former chair of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, Democrat Dianne Feinstein. It was buried eight paragraphs into a recent Politico expose on foreign efforts to infiltrate Silicon Valley as a passing example of political espionage. Quote from Politico. Former intelligence officials said Chinese intelligence once recruited a staff member at a California office of U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein. And the source reported back to China about local politics. A spokesperson for Feinstein said the office doesn't comment on personnel matters or investigations but noted that no Feinstein staffer in California has ever been, excuse me, has ever had a security clearance. Later comes additional detail. According to four former Intel officials in the 2000s, a staffer in Senator Dianne Feinstein's San Francisco field office was reporting back to the MSS, China's Ministry of State Security, its intelligence and security apparatus. Now, while this person, who was a liaison to the local Chinese community, was fired, Charges were never filed against him. One former official reasoned that this was because the staffer was providing political intelligence and not classified information, making prosecution far more difficult. The suspected informant was run by officials based at China's San Francisco consulate, said another former intelligence official. The spy's handler probably got an, an award back to China for his work noted this former official dryly. So this anecdote provides significantly more questions than answers. For starters, who was the spy? For how long was the spy under surveillance? What information about local politics was the spy passing back to China? Just how close was the spy to the senator? Did law enforcement officials sweep vehicles and other areas for listening devices? Was there an intelligent, excuse me, an investigation into whether others in the senator's circle may have been coordinating with Beijing. Did the senator expose herself to potential blackmail? 
or the public the danger through leakage of sensitive, highly classified information. Is firing really the proper punishment for providing political intelligence to a foreign power? Here's my question. Was she removed from the Senate Intelligence Committee? No. Was she investigated by any Senate committee? No. Were the Senate committees under the control of the Republicans? Yes. So why didn't they? Lindsay. We now know only the most basic of additional details about what occurred in Feinstein's office. Five years ago, the FBI approached the senator to apprise her that a San Francisco-based staffer was being investigated under suspicion of spying for China. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, Feinstein's hometown paper, this staffer, who had worked with Feinstein for almost 20 years, drove her around in San Francisco and served as gopher in her San Francisco office, and as a liaison to the Asian-American community, even attending Chinese consulate functions for the senator. And it goes on. But there's better and more. For the last 40 years, no politician in America has arguably maintained a deeper, more long-standing, and friendlier relationship with Red China at the highest levels of its ruling Communist Party than Feinstein. Dates back to the opening of U.S.-China diplomatic relations in 1979. Shortly thereafter, Feinstein, then mayor of San Francisco, established a sister-city relationship with Shanghai, one of the earliest and most robust such relationships in U.S.-China history. Soon after, Feinstein led a mayoral delegation to China joined by her husband, investor Richard Bloom, a trip they took together many times over the ensuing years, as the relationship between both Feinsteins and China grew. During the 1980s, as mayor of San Francisco, Feinstein developed a close friendship with Shanghai Mayor Zhang Zemin. This substantially enhanced Feinstein's foreign policy profile and created an important linkage to the U.S. government for China's Communist Party, the CCP. And just as Feinstein rose to a prominent position in foreign affairs and national security in the Senate, first on the Foreign Relations Committee and later as chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, Zhang rose to president of the People's Public, uh, Republic of China, the PRC. And under Zhang's leadership, the PRC initiated a brutal crackdown against practitioners of Falun Gong, including mass imprisonments, beatings, torture, rape, organ harvesting, and murder, and engaging in alleged human rights atrocities against Tibetans. Feinstein never renounced her friendship with Zhang, in spite of these acts. Feinstein and Zhang reportedly visited each other regularly in the 1980s, with Zhang once spending Thanksgiving in San Francisco with Feinstein and her husband. Zhang supported dance and supposedly danced with Feinstein during one such visit, which surely must have been a propaganda coup for the CPP a la Ted Kennedy and the Soviets. In 1986, Feinstein and Zhang designated several corporate entities for fostering commercial relations. One named the Shanghai Pacific Partners. Feinstein's husband served as director. His financial position was relatively small, less than half a million dollars on one project, the only such position in China the Feinstein family held when Feinstein entered the Senate in 1992. That project, however, which Bloom's firm participated in, along with the PRC state-run Shanghai Investment Trust Corporation, was one of the first joint veterans between San Francisco and Chinese investors, reportedly, quote, cited by Chinese officials as a testament to the friendly business ties between Shanghai and San Francisco that Feinstein had initiated, unquote. 
Subsequently, Blum's investments in the Middle Kingdom, China, mushroomed. In May 1993, Feinstein expressed her long, strong support on the Senate floor for continued trading with China. Contemporaneously, her husband was seeking to raise up to $150 million from investors, including himself, for a variety of Chinese enterprises. In August 1993, Feinstein and her husband visited Beijing for extensive meetings with Chinese leaders as President Zhang's at his invitation. And as the LA Times reported in 1994 expose, on Feinstein's husband's business ties and the potential conflict of interest they presented, quote, such encounters are finally remembered when deals are clinched back in China, according to American experts in Chinese business practices. They said that Feinstein's consistent support for China's interests cannot help but benefit her husband's efforts to earn profits there. The historical record suggests these American experts were right. Bloom successfully raised $160 million for the aforementioned Asia Fund under his Newbridge Capital Investment Company, including investing $1 to $2 million himself. The fund invested in several state-owned and Chinese government-linked businesses. Bloom's firm's largest holding at the time his China investments began to draw scrutiny in 1997 was its stake in Northwest Airlines. The then-estimated $300 million position was poised to significantly appreciate in value as Northwest just happened to be the sole airline operator providing nonstop service from the United States to any city in China. When questioned on his China investments, Bloom pledged to donate future profits from the holdings to his nonprofit foundation to help Tibetan refugees, thereby, quote, removing any perception that I in any way, shape, or form benefit from an inf- or influence my wife's position on China as a U.S. senator. <coughs> But these conflict of interest issues persisted. In January 1995, Feinstein was appointed to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Subsequently, she made several visits to China. Of course, why not? Let's see here. And uh, accompanied by her husband, where she met with senior government officials. I'm reading this off the computer. I have to move the screen. During these trips... Uh, the couple was wined and dined. On one such visit in January 96, Feinstein and Bloom enjoyed a meal with President Jing in the exclusive leadership compound for China's Communist Party, where, according to Feinstein, they ate Mao Zedong's residence in the room where he died. Now, that's kind of sick right there, isn't it, Mr. Producer? Can I eat in the residence in the room where, where uh, Mao died? Please, pass the shrimp. Feinstein kept up her dogged support for increased trade with China. In May 1996, she penned an editorial in the Los Angeles Times calling the United States on it to grant most favored nation status to China on a permanent basis, get past the annual dance that is proving to be extraordinarily divisive and not at all helpful toward reaching the off-stated goal, improvement in human rights. And while Feinstein maintained her pro-China positions, in May 1997, the senator revealed the FBI had warned her the Chinese government might seek to funnel illegal contributions to her campaign. She was one of only six members of Congress to receive such a warning. As the New York Times noted at the time, Feinstein had returned $12,000 in 1994 contributions from people with connections to the Lippo Bank, an arm of a multi-billion dollar conglomerate owned by the Riotti family, 
with investments and operations throughout Asia. Employed a senior American executive named Jean Wang. You may remember this. At the time, Feinstein disclosed returning the Lippo Thai contributions, but Hong was under Justice Department investigation, and it goes on. You want to hear more of this, Mr. Producer? How about you, America? I did the Fox show with Professor Ken Gore, and you saw real hard documentary evidence of Ted Kennedy's conspiracy with the KGB and Kremlin to try and defeat Ronald Reagan in his re-election. This is real hard evidence of the Feinsteins and their conduct with China. Why am I doing this? Not only to show you that the media are corrupt, that this entire investigation, look at this, we found a text, look at this, we found an email that shows nothing, is a fraud. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Right, folks, um, may I see a uh, a raise of hand? Raise your hand if you uh, want me to continue exposing Diane Frankenfeinstein with the help of Weingarten here. I see the vast majority of you want me to continue this. I'm going to have to do it in the next hour, hour three. See, this is called evidence. It's a lot of it. Potentially quid pro quo. We don't know. I don't have subpoena power. They have nothing on Trump because he hasn't done anything. Just like last night, Life, Liberty, and Levin. The way the case against Ted Kennedy is laid out, these are the people who conspire with the communists. Trump hasn't conspired with Russia in any, in any respect. Over the coming weeks, you'll hear me talk about one of the top issues on the mind of Americans, prescription drug prices. Many economists and organizations like Americans for Tax Reform have studied this. I have studied this. And here's some facts you need to know when you're going to be loaded up with propaganda from the media and, unfortunately, from the government. Americans have more access to prescription drugs and over-the-counter drugs than any other country, including access to 95% of all cancer treatments. American drug companies produce more than half of the world's wonder drugs, because they invest about $90 billion every year on research. You know, they talk about 5.7 on the border, but I want you to think about that. These amazing drugs allow people with painful, chronic conditions to lead more normal lives. It extends life and improves the quality of life. Despite this success, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar wants to adopt a Bernie Sanders-style plan for drug pricing that mimics how countries with socialized medicine set pricing and limit patient access to cutting-edge medicines. Their plan will lead to scarcity, fewer choices, and worst of all, fewer life-saving breakthroughs. That's what happens. Instead of fighting to lower prices by making these other nations pay their fair share, rather than stealing our drugs, Secretary Azar wants to tell our pharmaceutical companies what they can charge. Bernie Sanders may like this plan, but I don't, you don't, 150 economists, 600 free market organizations don't. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com, that's TrueHealthCareFacts.com, and get the facts. More as I expose 
the left, the Democrats, and their alignment with the communists when I return. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. We will continue by popular request. Discussing the situation with Diane Feinstein. Uh, with the great help of Ben Weingarten over at the Federalist back in August. You ready? You people up to this? I know you are. You're Levinites. Continuing. Now, if you miss any of this, you can listen to the podcast later tonight. Just go to marklevinshow.com. We are there. It's free, absolutely free. In May 2000, Feinstein lobbied for making permanent normal trading relations with China, a measure that ultimately passed and helped pave the way for its entrance into the World Trade Organization, which Feinstein also supported. At the time, a spokesperson for Feinstein indicated that her husband had divested of his last holdings in mainland China in 1999. But Blum's stake in another Newbridge Capital Asia fund which contained investments in China, belied that assertion. Meanwhile, in the years leading to the passage of that legislation, Plum's Newbridge Capital reportedly invested more than $400 million into East Asian businesses, at least $90 million of which was invested in companies whose profits are pegged to the burgeoning mainland China market, according to the companies themselves, and several of which were partly owned or founded by the Chinese government. If nothing else, Bloom still stood to profit handsomely from management fees for these portfolios. Defense companies in which Bloom's firms were invested signed billions of dollars in military contracts approved by Feinstein's committee. Such investments in Chinese assets continued. In 2004, Newbridge Capital purchased an 18% stake in Shenzhen Development Bank, the first time a foreign company took effective control of a Chinese lender. From 2001 to 2005, Feinstein served as chair of the Senate Military Construction Appropriations Committee 
And during this time, defense companies in which Bloom's firms were invested signed billions of dollars in military contracts approved by Feinstein's committee. This suggests a parallel pattern in the Feinstein family's political and business dealings that adversaries like China surely could have sought to exploit. When pressed on conflicts of interest, however, on multiple occasions, Feinstein has flippantly responded by rhetorically asking what she could do to satisfy those raising the issue short of getting divorced. Feinstein's husband has stressed that his ties to the Dalai Lama and criticisms of Chinese human rights violations would never have helped him carry favor with the Chinese and maintain no conflict of interest between his wife's position and his investments. The senator recently co-sponsored the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act of 2018. Incorporated into the pending National Defense Authorization Act, it passed, which gives the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States greater oversight over foreign transactions, geared in part towards China's malign efforts to gain valuable technology and steal intellectual property. But provisions penalizing sanctions violating Chinese telecommunication company ZTE were stripped from the bill at the Trump administration's urging. Interesting, perhaps anticipating future troubles, the House Intelligence Committee would first warn that ZTE posed national security risks in 2012. In October 2011, ZTE hired its first in-house lobbyist, none other, none other than former Feinstein aide Peter Rufo, a position it appears he still holds today. Feinstein's economic positions frequently downplayed the PRC's rampant human rights violations. The senator has fashioned herself a peacemaker, often urging appeasement of the Chinese regime in both apologism for such abuses and urging restraint. <clears throat> Feinstein also argued against tying China's most favored nation trading status to human rights improvements. Feinstein also argued against tying China's most favored nation trading status. I already said that. In an argument that reads as not only but beyond naive, but demonstrates an offensive moral equivalency. Feinstein added, Chinese society continues to open up with looser ideological controls freer access to outside sources of information and increased media reporting. She says more people in China vote for their leadership on the local level than do Americans. Economic liberalization is introducing market forces into the economy. Educational levels are up, along with wages and the standard of living. Can you imagine if Trump or anyone in his family had any of these associations with Red China, made a plug nickel off of them? And then served as a propagandist for Red China, as Feinstein did and does. Pretty damn incredible. <clears throat> so let us review the facts. China has for almost 40 years cultivated warm relations with Feinstein. Feinstein has uniformly taken political positions supporting greater ties with China, while taking a relatively dovish and strictly apologist line on its human rights atrocities. Feinstein's husband has profited handsomely during Feinstein's career from the greatly expanded China trade she supported. It is, of course, possible that the Feinstein family's privileged position <coughs> excuse me, with the Chinese regime improved his investment opportunities. Feinstein has served as a key intermediary between China and the U.S. government 
while serving on committees whose work would be of keen interest to the PRC. And a staffer of almost two decades in close proximity to Feinstein was allegedly successfully recruited by China's MSS and fed China so-called political intelligence. So Weingarten says, imagine for a second how a motivated and empowered prosecutor would operate in this situation if tasked with exploring any links and or coordination between the Chinese government, Feinstein, and individuals associated with her office. Few American officials could have been as potentially exposed to the PRA's skilled intelligence service as Feinstein. Here we have not only proof of a spy, but real evidence of consistently pro-Chinese policy, that the very best created the appearance of a financial conflict of interest. Recall that the Chinese regime conducted uh, the cataclysmic U.S. Office of Personnel Management hack, arming it with the most compromising possible information on 21 million government employees and applicants. Then the PRC liquidated America's entire informant network on the Chinese mainland. So why isn't this a major national story drawing hysterical cries of treason and calls for impeachment? Feinstein's dealings with the Chinese must be investigated, but so too ought the links between federal officials and all of our adversaries, be it the Chinese and Russians, the Pakistanis and Iranians, or the Muslim Brotherhood and its state supporters. Feinstein is but one politician. How many other relationships with American politicians have the Chinese and other adversaries fostered? Well, there is the McConnell family, which Peter Schweitzer has written about. Oh, yes. But I can only cover... Only cover one at a time. Now, you didn't see any of this on CNN, did you? At any time. On MSNBC, did you? How about the front pages of the New York Times with hysterical headlines? Or the front pages of the Washington Post with hysterical headlines? No? How about the bloated Carl Bernstein? The bloated and sickly-looking doofus and uh, cheater Carl Bernstein, who's dragged onto these Sunday shows probably in a gurney, to talk to Brian Stelter, as dumb as they come. Any of this provide any kinds of context? No. This, Ted Kennedy, and there's so much more. Why do we bring this up? Because they're Democrats? Yes, in part, because it shows what the media are like. But I also bring this up to show you how over-the-top the media, the Democrats, and this prosecutor has been with respect to Donald Trump. It's just incredible, the comparison. I'll be right back. Lovin. Now, with the context of Diane Frankenfeinstein, knowing... That she was recently chairperson, may I? Chairperson, or is that offensive? Chairperson of the Senate Intelligence Committee, the Select Committee. You have to be selected. I want you now to listen to Mark Varner. Mark Varner, the ranking Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, about your president, Donald Trump. Cut six, go. Do you think President Trump is wittingly or unwittingly an agent of the Russians? 
Jake, I think the earlier evidence this week where the president's campaign manager, and we're unaware of whether the president knew, where the president's campaign manager, at whose direction, turned over confidential polling data to a known Russian agent, a known Russian agent who has ties to Putin and Deripaska. Why would you turn over that information? And what's curious... Stop right there. Mr. Producer, I thought that story was found to be inaccurate. It was based on a filing by Manafort's team. And he actually turned it over to the Ukrainians, I thought. That's what I thought. Now, Manafort had an association with all these different countries, so he turns over polling data. Now, why would you do that? Why would you do that? I don't know. Ask Feinstein. Maybe she knows. But I believe it was to the Ukrainians. Could be wrong, but I believe that's what I saw. Go ahead. It would be that kind of information that would inform the Russians later in the campaign when they launched their social media efforts where they created these fake identities. And as we've seen with, you know, clear-cut proof, a lot of those efforts were aimed at suppressing African-American vote. Did they use that polling data to guide the Russian social media efforts to suppress African-American vote? We don't know the answer to that yet. Suppress the African-American vote, Mr. Producer? I never heard that before. So they're bringing in race. So Trump must be a racist by implication. He's clearly a Russian spy by implication, right? Realize how stupid this is? Meanwhile, Frankenfeinstein was sitting on this committee for years. And nobody gives a damn. Sitting on this committee for years. I'll check during the break if there was a correction. Maybe there wasn't, but I thought there was at one point. I've gone deep into the show, and I haven't taken any calls. First of all, let's see if there's any liberals that I can play with, like a cat playing with yarn. No, I don't see any. Andrew, Stanhope, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Regular American here, patriotic. Diane Feinstein, didn't she have a Chinese spy working for her? Yeah, no, we we talked about that at some length about uh, 20 minutes ago. And why is there no uh, investigation or charges of neglect? Well, there was. They concluded that he gave political information several years ago, and that was that. That's how you handle an investigation of a Democrat. You kill it right at the get-go. Down. What's that? Shouldn't she step down? You think she'll step down on her own? (laughs) No. All right. She won't step down until she can't walk anymore. No, the people of California are thrilled with her. They re-elected her. Thanks, Mark. Sorry. But, 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 but why isn't there a special counsel investigating her? Exactly. That they should be focusing on her, and why is she not embarrassed enough? To the Republicans it? don't even bring it up, just like they never brought up Ted Kennedy as he was conspiring with the Russians, and I mean the Kremlin, not the Russians, the Soviets, to try and defeat Reagan. No problem. A few good ones, but you said most of them are go along, get along. You know, well, I haven't heard a single one speak out on it. Have you? It's appalling. I heard you and Sean talk about it and that, you know, one other, and that's about it. It's appalling. All right, my friend. Thank you. Al, New Rochelle, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Mark. You are my uh, hero. Uh, I came here Wait. 35 years ago from Romania as a political refugee. And I Chechnya's heard you regime. Oh, yes. were famous. 
What's that? As in uh, F. Lee Levine. Uh, ah, on, Ru- uh, on, Rush. On Rush's show, oh, exactly. Yes. And uh, since then, I realized that uh, you will be destined to be great. And it looks like you are the great one when it comes to Constitution and when it comes to uh, everything that's political matter. Well, we work on it, you know. I have a couple of observations uh, along the way, and I tried to call you many times before. I realized that the Democrats are following one rule, and they never gave it up. Accuse the other side what you're guilty of. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that is based on the old French Revolution saying that j'accuse, I accuse you, therefore now you have to come with the... Uh, you know, uh, your facts to debunk whatever I'm accusing you of. And sometimes if the accusation is not true, you cannot have anything to say against it. So, No, 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 this is a good point, especially from you, who who escaped a uh, a communist tyranny, and it was a brutal tyranny. And the fact of the matter is that's exactly what the left is doing in this country, it's exactly what the media is. We're supposed to believe that Donald Trump was in the back pocket of the Russians. The accusation comes from the Democrats and the media who've always been soft on the Soviets, who always undermined Reagan, who took on the Russians and the Soviets directly and tried to defeat them and ultimately did, and they never liked him. Reagan was a, uh, a point of uh, changing my life because uh, it was very hard to get out of Romania. So one of the methods were to form a group, and you know that for every tyranny, two or more persons... It's a menace. So we form a group of 12, and we are arrested the next day. And uh, I remember during that period in prison, Reagan, I mean the president of Romania at that time, Ceausescu, uh, to um, uh, you know, stop the, the flowing of people just asking for a passport and leaving the country. He said that everybody that will leave the country will have to pay for the schooling about $1,000 per year per person, and that was about $30,000 for my family of, uh, you know, my wife and two kids. And I remember this is the end. But I heard that Reagan said that he will cut everything, all the ties with Romania, if they will, uh, you know, institute that law. And immediately Ceausescu said, oh, that was just a project of a law, not a real, uh, you know, past law. So we were able to leave in 1984 one by one. Uh, But I have to uh, tell you something else. They forced us to give up our citizenship because the passport that we lived with, Mm -hmm. we lived with, with the left with brown passports, which even I have in my position that said passports for persons without citizenship. So before Mm -hmm. they gave us those passports, they went uh, they uh, send us to the department of state and uh, we paid about three I, I have to go but you know you, you could probably in this country use something like that to vote <laughs> probably no i'm a voter since i became a citizen now nah, you're solid i really appreciate you calling and i'm glad you're here we'll be right back shut down because this show is essential 
Call into the Mark Levin Show at 877-381-3811. The entire federal government, except for essential employees, that is, in all departments and agencies, was shut down today due to snow. And the lib media still counted that against Trump, even though the appropriators are in the House and some of them are in Puerto Rico. And, uh, of course, it is well past sundown from the East Coast in the Washington, D.C. area, and that's another reason the government is shut. Just thought I would point that out. Now, Nancy Pelosi's been in Hawaii. She's been in Puerto Rico all this time while the government has been shut down, partially. The president has been in Washington, D.C. He didn't take a Christmas vacation. He didn't take a New Year's vacation. None of that stuff. Democrats are partying. You saw Bob Menendez without his shirt. Um, and, of course, the little children on the beach in Puerto Rico were running in every direction to get away from him because uh, that's one scary-looking dude. Although he looked like he was transitioning to me, Mr. Producer. Didn't he look like he was transitioning to you? Do men have breasts like that? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be rude. I just don't know. Uh, simply safe. So here's a timely stat. Almost half of us make a New Year's resolution every year. Most of us have probably broken. Happens to the best of us. But one resolution we're sticking to this year, keeping your family and home safe. Simply safe home security is making that easier with 24-7 home security with no contracts and no catches. They believe the safest place on earth should be your own home. So you feel protected every time you shut your door and leave for work or shut your eyes at night. More than 3 million people already feel this way, including my family, thanks to Simply Safe. They're not the only ones. The folks at PC Mag named Simply Safe both Editor's Choice and Reader's Choice for 2018. So now's a good time to ask yourself, is my home as safe as it could be? And if you think, well, this is the year to fix that, go to simplysafemark.com and get started. That's simplysafemark.com to protect your family and your home today. Simplysafemark.com. You know, on the weekend, we're not out doing stuff. It was snowing, and I've been working on my book nonstop. Really enjoying it, by the way, because I think you're really gonna you're really gonna appreciate it too and enjoy it. I watch different shows in the background, and I was watching the the Meekum auctions, the car auction. You ever watch that, Mister Producer? One car went for ten million dollars. Can you imagine having a, a fender bender with that car? Now, obviously, it's not driven on the street. It's it stays in mint condition in a uh, in a garage of sorts where a collector has them. But it is great to see these magnificent cars, these muscle cars. Uh, some of these cars are prototypes. There's one of a kind, or there were 200 made, and there's only like 12 in existence, that sort of thing. But to see the polished chrome, to see the, uh, the, the, the... Well, just to see them, it's just really beautiful. Another show I really like... <clears throat> In addition to Pawn Stars, my buddy Rick Harrison, I love that show, is American Pickers. 
And they run like reruns of them on Thursday night for about, you know, 14 hours. And I keep watching them. I even know how they're going to turn out. I still keep watching them. Another show I like, people ask me, that's why I'm going through. Mr. Producer can't stop asking me about this. On HGTV, I like that network. Where people want to buy these beach homes. You ever see this show, Mr. Producer? Mr. Call Screener, you ever see this? Everybody's seen it. And the, the thing that's annoying, there's two things that become annoying. Number one, I want a home on the beach. I want four bedrooms, four baths. I want two offices and a man cave and a three-car garage. And what's your budget? $112. Or with a husband and wife. I would like a, a, uh, a craftsman house. Uh, and then the other guy. I want a rancher. I would like one near all the restaurants in the city. What would you like? I'd like one out in the sticks. I want horses. And then the poor realtor, you know, it's like, where the hell do you take them? Now, as a couple, shouldn't you work that out before you go on TV, or is that the whole shtick? I don't know. I like the Fixer Upper show. I like the uh, the brothers, the twins. Just catch them when I can. Very, very interesting, these shows. And you know, it takes your mind off of the media, the Democrats, Russia, Russia, Russia. You know, I'm, I'm surprised the FBI hasn't interviewed me. You know why, Mr. Producer? Because my ancestry is mostly Russian. And by the way, I hate the Russian government. I've always hated the Russian governments. I'm not one of these code pink Republicans. I think we have some Ukrainian blood. And then we have some Finnish blood. Finnish? What the hell is that? The Finns? I don't even know what holidays they celebrate. I don't even know what the hell they do over there. Other than huddle and cuddle all the time because it's so damn cold. All right, I'm rambling. You know what's smart? Figuring out who you need to hire to take your business to the next level in 2019. You know what else is smart? Starting the new year off strong by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N, to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter's rated number one, hello, number one by employers in the U.S. Now, this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, you, my listeners, can try ZipRecruiter for free. I said free. At this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. So if you love this show, you're going to love ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash L-E-V-I-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay. It's near the end of the show. I have to make an executive decision. I keep talking about this interview with Professor Kengor, the importance of this issue about the Russians and the Democrats, the Russians and Kennedy, the, Rus- the uh, Chinese and, uh, and, F- and Frankenstein and so forth. Here's a little taste of it from last night. Cut 17, go. Russia keeps coming up. There is no context for what's taking place today. 
What exactly happened with Ted Kennedy and Russia and the Kremlin? Well, the date was the date of the document is May 14th, 1983. What document? Uh, it, it is a document that was found in the Central Committee archives of the Soviet Union. And that would have been when they first started opening the archives when Boris Yeltsin became president after Gorbachev resigned in late 1991. And a document was found. Uh, it was it says Committee on State Security of the USSR across the top, which is KGB. And the author is Viktor Chebrikov, who was the head of the KGB. And he's writing to Yuri Andropov, who's the head of the Soviet Union. So right here, okay, you've got you've got a document with the two top people in the USSR. Chebrikov, head of the KGB, to the head of the Soviet Union, Yuri Andropov. And the subject head says, of special importance regarding Senator Kennedy's request to General Secretary Andropov. So right there, if that doesn't grab your attention, I don't, I don't know what does. <clears throat> And it says in the first paragraph that on 9-10 of this year, this would have been May 1983, that a Kennedy confidant, uh, John Tunney, who had been the California Democratic senator, and uh, he wasn't senator at that point, but he, but he had been the night. Best friends with Kennedy. Yeah, old, old law school uh, classmates. And they said that he was there on behalf of Senator Kennedy making a request to, to the Soviets. So he went to the Kremlin. I don't know if he went to the Kremlin, but he was he was in Moscow. Mm -hmm. He was definitely in Moscow on on behalf of Ted Kennedy. Now, now before I continue to say what's in the document, this was found in the archives, 1991, 1992. It was first reported by the London Times in February 2nd, 1992. And I assume the American media picked up on it. The News networks ran with it. The budding cable networks <laughs> ran with it. Am I right? Absolutely. They did not. They didn't do They didn't. They, they didn't, didn't touch do, it. They didn't do a single thing with it. Nothing. Nothing. I've tried to make my Fox show, which is only one hour once a week, late at night on Sunday, a slot that we wanted, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Different in some ways, compelling in every way. It's the only long-form interview, sh interview show with one guest, rarely two, on all of cable today. And the guests, different kinds of people, all walks of life. Some are intellectuals and scholars and professors. Others are athletes, people you've seen on TV. If I think they have something interesting to contribute to your evening or even to society generally... I want to have them on the program. And I'm keeping a list of people who have turned us down. I think you'll find that interesting one day. Because they don't want to talk to me. So, uh, Professor Paul Kengor has been focused on many subjects, but this in particular for a very long time. And given all the talk about Russia and the fact that despite all the talk and all the print, there's never any context provided. I wanted to provide context. And so this is the show I do on Fox. If you lose interest in this show over the course of the next 12 months, I'll stop doing it. I don't do TV to be on TV. I don't do radio to be on radio. I don't do digital TV to be on digital TV. I don't write books to see my name on book covers. I don't know. It's in my DNA. It was handed down from my father and mother. I'm about liberty, individual liberty. I've never liked being bullied. I've never liked being dictated to, and I've always resisted it. 
whether it's an individual, a group of individuals, or a government. The Constitution is ours. The history of this country is ours. Free market capitalism is ours. And nobody has a right to take it away. I don't care if they're talking about redistributing wealth, populism, socialism, Marxism. What's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And that's the bottom line. When I grew up, I used to watch shows like Firing Line. Or even shows where I didn't even care for the host. But where people calmly, directly talk to each other about what's going on. We've tried on multiple occasions, ladies and gentlemen, to get leading liberals. They'll go everywhere but on my show. Whether they're intellectuals or politicians. We've reached out repeatedly. We've also reached out to numerous Republicans with whom I have serious disagreements, but whom I've promised to treat with respect, but they will not come on the program because they fear that it will ruin their careers. So I do have to figure out how to overcome these things, and we do our best. But again, we have people from all walks of life. Very interesting. This coming Sunday, we're probably going to have Kurt Schilling on. Kurt Schilling is fascinating to me. He should be in the Hall of Fame, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. He was a great pitcher. Now, why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? Because of his views. He's a conservative. He lost his job at ESPN. Why? Because of his views. He's a conservative. So he's very thoughtful. He's very interesting. And there's different things I want to explore with him that I think you might find compelling. We've had the smartest of the smart. We never have done. People in all walks of life. I hope you're enjoying it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I better not kill the segment. Here's more Paul Kengar last night. On Kennedy and his conspiracy with the Soviets to take out Reagan. Cut 18, go. So the document said that Senator Kennedy, like other rational people, uses the word rational people, is very troubled by the state of U.S.-Soviet relations, the deterioration in U.S.-Soviet relations. And it blames this deterioration not on Yuri Andropov, not on the Kremlin, but on Reagan's belligerence. Actually uses the word Reagan, the words Reagan's belligerence. And it says that this is due to Reagan's refusal to engage in any modification to his politics or policies. So uh, Kennedy and the document, and the document, at least its framing of Kennedy's offer, they're blaming this deterioration in U.S.-Soviet relations on Ronald Reagan. So the Soviets are blaming him? Or Kennedy's blaming them, or all of them are blaming. Well, th- this would this would be the defense later of the Kennedy people is uh, you know well that's their interpretation of this. But according to Chebrikov, he's couching this in the language of this is Kennedy's interpretation. And Kennedy approached them. They Ken- didn't approach yes, Kennedy. Kennedy approached them through John Tunney. 
And um, Tani, who would later comment on this in the original London Times article in February 1992, dismissed it and was like, ah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not what people are, are trying to make of it. And when the book, when my first report on this in the Crusader was published in 2006, the only media source in the country that touched it was, uh, you're from Philadelphia, the CN8, which is like a regional cable news outlet. I did that show, and they actually called Kennedy's office, and they said, what's your response to this, with this professor's reporting in this, in this book? And they argued with the interpretation of the document. Well, what did Kennedy want to do? Well, it was couched within the context of the 1984 presidential election. Which was just just around the corner. This is 1983, spring of 19. So they're communicating Kennedy is through Tunney in 1983. That's right. Right before Reagan's up for re-election. Yes. The campaign's ginning up. The Democrats are ginning up. Kennedy makes contact with the Kremlin through Tunney. What does Kennedy want to do with the Kremlin? Well, so he offers to, he's, he believes, according to the document, Right. Kennedy believes that this deterioration is the fault of Reagan's and not apparently the fault of the Soviet Union. In fact, it even uses the words that Kennedy is, quote unquote, very impressed with Andropov, very impressed with Andropov, of all people. Right. The Soviet dictator. So with the election coming up and it's fascinating, Mark, there's actually a paragraph in here where you've got basically Kennedy and the Soviets agreeing that Reaganomics is working. <laughs> Inflation is down, unemployment is, is great and everything. So the only time you'll ever see them acknowledge that Reaganomics is actually working. And uh, that being the case, is there any vulnerability for Reagan in 1984? And, and yes, it's these questions of war and peace. The, the Pershing Professor two missiles, Kingler. the nuclear freeze movement. So Kennedy offers to the Soviets to help them communicate to the American voters and the American public their peaceful intentions as he perceives So them. Kennedy is prepared, in essence, to be a PR surrogate yeah, I think, for Moscow. I think that's a fair way to put it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we deal in the facts here. We deal in history. Don't forget, all of you listening... Download the podcast so you can use it whenever you want. MarkLevinShow.com. You can download it there. Apple iTunes, Mark Levin Show. Download it there. Google Music. I'll be mentioning this every day because I want every single one of you to have it in your back pocket, okay? Thank you all. Check out our brand new Levin TV tonight, too. It's really good. And God bless you. See you tomorrow. <laughs>